Martinez saves Hammond. Kopitar bangs it off the back of the net. Close and great shot, Martinez. Save made by Cam Talbot. to the left side. He'll hit Corey Watson with it. He'll sidestep one tackler and gets to the 20. Corey Watson inside the 10. Touchdown, Eskimo. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. Well, thanks for voting for Inside Sports tonight, everybody. It is 6.06. Well, you can still vote to 8 o'clock if you want to get out there and mark your ballot. You might get a sticker. Participation sticker. That's pretty much all the Oilers earned on Saturday night. Carrying the play is Smith. Dishing off, shot off the mask, redirected home. It went off an Oiler, I believe. 4 nothing. Senators, a minute four into this third period. Skating his way down the middle of the ice. Gains the line, right circle, wrist shot, score. Top left corner, 6 nothing. Ottawa. And 6-1 would be the final. The Oilers have lost three in a row. They have been outscored 14-5 over that run. They have put Leon Dreisaitl on injured reserve with those concussion-type symptom, symptoms. Kind of a curious situation with him. They've called up Brad Malone, Ryan Strome back up to the right wing with Nugent Hopkins and Lucic as the Oilers try to turn it around before this losing streak gets out of control. Tomorrow against Carolina, 5.30 for the face-off show here on 6.30, Chad. The puck will drop at 7. Meanwhile, the Eskimos won on Saturday. We'll break that down with Blake Dermott in about half an hour and Jason Moss is in with Morley Scott at 7.30. My name is Reed Wilkins. Inside Sports on 6.30, Chet. Election coverage at 8. But right now, it's the Duke of the Goal Crease, Kelly Rudy. That's not a civic title. That's like oh, that's like right. a feudal title. I don't know what I'm I've talking about. I've never heard of that before. The Duke of the Goalie Crease. Interesting. <laughs> never been called a Duke before. That's pretty regal, right? Well, I think, you've, I think we've both been called clowns, though, or court jesters. <laughs> so... There's there's one for you. <laughs> I like it, Reed. <laughs> hey, good to have you on the show, buddy. Hey, b- before we uh, get into the hockey time, how how many days till your book comes out, Kelly? Uh, what's today? The 16th? Yeah. So my book comes out on the 24th, officially. So uh, I'm going to really be stepping up my uh, promotion of that. I Let's see, I... Uh, on Friday, I go back to Toronto, and then Sunday, I start with all the promotional stuff. So I'm doing a whole ton of stuff Sunday and Monday in Toronto. Then uh, I get back uh, next Thursday, and I have some stuff here in Calgary. And then I go back to Toronto, and then I come back, and I go directly to Edmonton. I, I want to say it's right around Halloween. I'm, I'm not quite sure. I have to look a little bit closer at it. Okay, well, we'll confirm that when you're on next week. Because sure. I know okay. after you were on last week, somebody tweeted me, and said, is Kelly coming to Edmonton for his book tour? And I said, I know that yeah. he's coming, but yeah. I hadn't seen a date nailed down. So so that'll, th- that'll you know be fun. You know what, Reed? Give me one sec. I, I have my schedule right in front of me. It's just sitting with my other notes here for uh, coming up. So I am, let's see, the 23rd. Let's see here. Um, no, that's Thursday. No, that's... Uh, Okay, here it is. So I will be um, on, uh, what day is this? Sorry. I sh- That's okay. Tell Monday, you October 30th. That's when I'm there. Okay. I'm at uh, Audrey's Books. Oh, yeah. Uh, at 7 o'clock, 
7 p.m., and then I have some uh, media on uh, Tuesday morning. Sorry for that. I had a hard time finding it. So October 30th. So Monday, you know, October 30th, you're actually in town, 7 p.m. at Audrey's. That's on Jasper Ave. People should know where that is. Yeah. And then uh, you're doing the media rounds uh, Tuesday morning. Okay, that's yeah. perfect. So there you go. And we'll talk more about the book uh, ne- next week. I know we did a yeah. segment in the summer there about it was coming yeah. up too, so that's pretty cool. Uh, Kelly, the uh, I mentioned the Oilers' stats there. 14-5, they're being outscored. I mean, they uh, they are not close. They're not losing with a bad bounce. They're not in a 2-2 game where they get scored on with three minutes left. Uh, I, I know we get varying degrees of worries from uh, Oilers fans. Certainly Todd McClellan put them through the paces last week, and they came out and played even worse against Ottawa. So that, that was pretty frustrating to watch. Okay, so what I didn't mention last week when we were talking, it was in the back of my mind, but I was waiting to see what was going to happen Saturday. I was really... Uh, enthusiastic about their chances when Lucic came out. We knew what he was going to do on his first shift or something like it anyways, trying to get some life going and uh, and then they completely uh, went backwards after that. I mean, they didn't have a shot until almost eight minutes into it and it was a harmless shot from Nurse from the point. So, uh, what, I, what I was concerned about, I didn't mention last week, is that when you go through something like this, if you don't quickly work your way out of it, then unfortunately the next step is uh, you can start to lose confidence. And I said that in the first intermission. I saw a really bad period, a team that they were afraid to play to a certain degree. They're making a whole bunch of hope passes and, and blind passes and poor puck management, all sorts of that. You can go up and down their lineup and nobody's playing well. And so, unfortunately, uh, when you get – and also your goaltender, he's, uh, I think he's lost some confidence. I mean, the one goal in particular – it was a great shot, mind you, by Hoffman, the second goal by Hoffman, but he was so deep and just not moving at all. So this is going to have to uh, correct itself over the course of time. It, my experience tells you that you usually don't go from uh, being lethargic, not playing inspired hockey, and then losing confidence to the cream of the crop very quickly. It takes some time. It might take a couple, three games to get worked that out. I hope it's not that long for the Oilers, but that often is the case. Well, and what's what's stunning to me, maybe stunning is an overstatement, but it, it's surprising, and I said this to Rob after the game on Saturday, uh, in the first game of the season against Calgary, they played as close to a perfect game as maybe I've seen the Oilers play since they went to the Stanley Cup Final in 2006. Like, they locked it down, yeah. their star players scored the goals, other guys had chances but didn't finish, but they totally weren't... Like, they went from an almost 10 out of 10 performance, and then it's not like they had a couple sixes. Like, they they, like they were 2 or 3 out of 10 the last couple of games. That disparity is really surprising to me. Yeah, and I can't put my finger on it. That team's too good. And uh, I think it just sort of does tell you the importance of uh, being prepared mentally because that's all it is to me, that they're skilled, they're fit, they've got all the pieces in place. And uh, so for me, what really happened, and it's no secret, everybody knew that they underestimated the Canucks, and then they thought, again, that they were just going, hey, this is okay, we'll recapture it here against Winnipeg. They get spanked there. And uh, it was a terrible beating versus uh, Ottawa. So um, I did not see this coming. I, I don't think anybody did. I think this is uh, the surprise of the National Hockey League so far, uh, even above uh, what Vegas is. Kelly, do we have you? 
Let's. Uh, I think we just lost him, Patrick. Try to reconnect there with Kelly because we'll want to get him uh, back to his thought there on how the Oilers are playing. I can tell you that Ryan Strom has uh, been, I mean, he was brought in as a versatile player, could play either center or the right side. He played center to start the season. He's going up to the right wing with Lucic and Nugent Hopkins for tomorrow against Carolina. Wherever you get put, I mean, obviously, uh, it's still early here and I've bounced around a lot. So, I mean, I'm used to it and that's what I'm comfortable with and being versatile. And, um, you know, when you get a chance to play with a guy like Nuge and a guy like Lucic, you got to kind of, you know, do your job. And, you know, Lucic is going to create space and Nuge can make plays. So, Hopefully we can have some success. I know we got to kickstart the offense here a little bit, get some goals, and um, you know this group uh, definitely has the the offensive power to do it. Kind of just bring it to the table, and um, hopefully it comes out tomorrow. Ryan Strom, one of many Oilers, hoping to get his offensive game going as we bring Kelly Rudy back on the show. Kelly, we have a lot of extra news people around tonight because of the election, and somebody yeah. stepped on the string that connects our two tin cans, so that's why we got we got disconnected there. I like it. Well. At least you didn't call me Duke this segment. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Uh, we're reconnected. I, I mean, you were touching on it. It'd certainly be surprising for the Oilers. So, a- absolutely. It doesn't get any easier with Dreisaitl out for uh, a- at least uh, another game. Uh, so, basically, they're calling it concussion-type symptoms. They haven't come yep. out and said concussion yet, but obviously that's worrisome. Kajula's on injured reserve as well. They have brought up uh, they have brought up Brad Malone. Last week I played that clip for you where Todd said after the Winnipeg game, our superstars weren't good enough and the Jets stars controlled the game. You seemed okay with that, yeah. uh, but Don Cherry criticized Todd on the weekend for publicly singling out uh, a young leader like McDavid. Has your view of that changed in the wake of now what's happened, or or, or what do you are you still feel the same about that comment? No, I still feel the same about how Todd handled it uh, last week. Now I don't think moving forward the same sort of uh, uh, plan of attack would be the same. I think you'd approach it differently uh, now, knowing what you what your players are going through, and and Todd knows his players uh, really well, like what they're going through mentally, how they handle things. So I'm sure that his message is going to be somewhat different than it was last week. I think last week, it kind of reminded me of last year when he did that after the Buffalo game where he was uh, critical of his team. He felt that at that time he needed to send a message and it was well-received. I mean, it worked. So you're always, um, you always think you've done the right thing, but you are still at some point hopeful that it works. I mean, um, there's no uh, magic wand, and, and you're not always right every time. But I, I don't think there was, it was a misstep last week at all. All right. You mentioned, uh, you know, Talbot maybe being a little deep in his net. Certainly he hasn't been the the, the sparkling player uh, that, that he was last year. And then sometimes, here's the thing, you look at a game and say, well, it's 6-1, what could have the goalie done? But, you know, sometimes there's a momentum-shifting save that gets you out of a period down one goal instead of yeah. two or, or whatever. So sometimes it's when you make them, not just how many you make. Do you notice anything different about Talbot? He says he did everything the same. He feels like he's playing the same way. I, I know just from hanging around the rink and talking to some people, there, there's some belief maybe he's a little deeper in his net. Maybe he's staying down a little more than he used to. Is there anything you see, Kelly? Well, the, the one thing that I always caution against when a, a guy starts slower than what everybody expects is that don't read into too much and don't pile on too many things. I said uh, in the second intermission of the game after the Hoffman second goal that 
uh, we telestrated as well, just how he is down and uh, he, he was way too deep. But that doesn't mean that's, that's an epidemic type thing or that's causing all sorts of things. That happened on that one goal, and I thought it was because he started to question himself just a little bit. And when your mind gets in the way, it's a dangerous thing. And so I'm looking, I would have a better comment to make about him in maybe another week or two. If it's, if it's something that is going to be an issue moving forward, number one thing I would do if, uh, if I were talking to him, if I was his goalie coach, is say, first thing we've got to do, it's all situational, of course, but first thing we've got to do is get your positioning correct. That's, that's where it usually starts. Crease movement and practice every single day. Get the mind going. Get the body thinking about moving and positioning. And with his talent, he's going to be out of this in no time. I don't even worry about him. Because what he did last year and how he played, um, everybody has highs and lows, and right now he's in a bit of a lull. All right. Kelly, I got one more for you. I did not tell you I was going to ask you this. It's a total fun-type question. It is obviously Civic Election Day. Name a former teammate who would have made the best politician. Oh, Steve Conroy. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Uh, Two things. So Mark Bergman, when he was hired in Montreal, I always... Well, I was adamant in telling people. Everybody always talked about his sense of humor and so on. And I said, hey, that's doing a disservice to Mark because he's one of the most thoughtful guys. He asks tons of questions all the time about what you think about the game or particular players. And that's when we played together uh, on the Islanders. Steve Conroy is the exact same way. Incredibly thoughtful, really, really bright guy. First guy that I ever was around that always carried a daytimer with him, taking notes, and he had a schedule and everything. Uh, to me, he's the guy that really stands out. He could have been a, a really successful politician. Well said. Okay, Kelly, all the best with your travels. Uh, all the best as the book promotion starts ramping up. We'll talk more about that next week. Hope you have a good week, buddy. Thanks for weighing in tonight. Okay, thanks, Reed. I'll talk to you next week. That is Kelly Rudy, former NHL goaltender, now an analyst with Hockey Night in Canada and the NHL on Rogers. Always great to have him on the show. He is not overly concerned about Cam Talbot, as you heard there, but he did say when a team plays as poorly as the Oilers have, especially the last couple of games. I mean, they didn't, obviously, they didn't play well in Vancouver, but there was some life in the third period. There were some other moments where they were hanging in the game. They were relatively sloppy and and were never really, especially against Ottawa, they were never never really in the game at all. And Kelly says when you're that far out of it, it often takes two or three games to, to get back to a high level. See what the Oilers do against Carolina. The Canes looked good in those two preseason games against the Oilers, though Edmonton did pull away in the third period in Saskatoon to win their second meeting. They come in at 1-1-1. All right, it's Inside Sports on 6.30, Chad. Houston and the Yankees are underway. Astros up 2-0 in that series. It's scoreless in the bottom of the first. We'll check the NHL scoreboard. We'll tell you about Monday Night Football. A couple other local notes when we get back. Inside Sports on 6.30, Chad. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chad. All right, good to have you tuning in tonight. Just one game in the NHL. The Lightning lead the Red Wings 2-0 after the first period. Johnson and Kucherov, the goal scorers, already six for Kucherov this season. 
Monday night football about to start. Indianapolis at Tennessee. Both teams are two and three. Houston and the Yankees are scoreless after the first period. A great regular season for the Edmonton Huskies junior football team. They went seven and one, but they get upended at home in their semifinal game against the Regina Thunder yesterday, losing 24-21. So unfortunately, they are eliminated. Golden Bears football on the weekend. My goodness, a double overtime loss to Regina, 58-55 the final. It was another big day for Bears star running back Ed Ilnicki. He now has 1,030 yards rushing in six games this season. He leads the entire U Sports, all of Canadian University sports in rushing. He's actually just under 100 yards away from a Bears single season record. Golden Bears hockey won both games against Manitoba. They are looking very strong, 4-0 in the year. Home and home with Calgary on the weekend at the Dinos on Friday. Home at Claire Drake, 5 p.m. on Saturday. So there's a quick look around some other Edmonton sporting results of significance. Oh yeah, there was another one. The Eskimos won. They clinched a playoff spot. As you would expect, dramatic fashion. All four games in the CFL this week. Very close. The Eskimos pulling it out with a late touchdown and then an interception. Blake Dermott will break it down. And we'll have more hockey talk with former coach and GM Doug McLean. All ahead. Inside Sports on Ched. This is Mark Letestu from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. We'll take the drop. He'll step to the top of the pocket now. Looks like he's going to take off himself, and he will get to the 20, to the 15. Still going, Riley, up in the air. Touchdown, Eskimos. How do you like them apples? Third and 10 for the Eskimos. Could be the ball game here. They try to keep this drive alive. Riley, five yards back, takes the snap and takes the drop. Everybody's going, Riley. He throws, and he's got Zilstra at the 22-yard line. First down, Eskimos. He'll swing it out to the outside and it is to the end zone touchdown Eskimos Darrell Walker with the touchdown and the Eskimos take the lead with less than a minute to go 30 to 27 the Eskimos lead there's the snap to Ray Ray throws I think that one got knocked down intercepted Eskimos intercept the football it is Corey Jones back into the lineup he's got the ball that will seal the deal with 22 seconds to go my goodness a nail biter brick field at Commonwealth Stadium Saturday night. The Eskimos have now won two in a row. They get to 9-6 and six on the season. 30-27 over the Argos on Saturday night. The Eskimos will be in BC this coming Saturday. We'll have it for you on 6.30. Ched with the countdown to kickoff at 6.30 and the game will start at 8. So we don't know who the Eskimos are going to play in the playoffs. We don't even know what division they'll be participating in. But they will be in and a team that during that six-game losing streak, struggled to make the play on offense or defense when they really needed one to turn the tide in their favor, was able to do it a few times late in that fourth quarter, a couple of third-down conversions on their winning drive. They get the touchdown to Walker, and then John Chick, who had not been on the field for a victory all season long, playing for Hamilton and Edmonton with the deflection, Jones with the pick, and the Eskimos put it away, and Blake Dermott was at the game, taking it all in. He's our inside-the-game analyst here on 630. Chad, Blake, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? 
Thanks, Reed. I'm just uh, trying to make sure my head doesn't get too big after the Facebook uh, uh, thing that we did for halftime. <laughs> oh, that's right. See, I didn't. I, I didn't get to see much of that. I, I actually went to the first quarter of the Eskimos game, and uh, and then went to Rogers Place. Uh, so we didn't have a face-off show, but I helped with some of our our uh, our pregame uh, technical requirements, I guess you would say. And the the two games overlapped, so I, I positioned myself in our broadcast booth where I could see the ice surface and the Eskimos game on TV both at the same time. So I missed your your Facebook broadcast, Blake. It was impelling television. <laughs> That's great. That's incredible. Anyway, I haven't even seen it. I just, uh, Morley sent me the link, and I was just looking at it briefly, but I didn't have sound on, and I went, okay, all right, maybe I'll have a time to. (laughs) Yeah, you probably have the sound on to hear hear what you were saying, but that's that's okay. Uh, They pulled it out. They're in the playoffs. Obviously, you know, they're they're far from a perfect team, and and then that's how things are going to go. But, look, there were... I mean, it was one of those games, Blake, I, I think there were multiple opportunities for the Eskimos maybe to pull away and, and multiple opportunities maybe for the Argos to seal it in the fourth quarter. And, you know, in the end, the Eskimos made a, a couple more clutch plays in the final minute. Well, you know, when you when you looked at this game, and we, we talked about this in the pregame a lot, uh, in that you had two of the top three passers in the league uh, uh, throwing the ball. You had... Uh, the Eskimos, which is the best defense against the pass, and Toronto was only like 20 yards behind them. Eskimos were like 256 yards per game. I think Toronto was 251. Okay, my math is off a little bit, but they were they were pretty close. And uh, so the and, and defensively, they, the Argonauts led the league in sacks. And, and so this was a team that matched up very well with Edmonton, and vice versa. And I thought this was going to be a really good game and a close game, and sure enough, that's what happened. It was a, it was a game where, where uh, it was almost too bad there wasn't a bigger crowd because they would have come away from it really appreciating the type of effort that, and, 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 the, and the exciting game that this turned out to be. Um, and the crowd wasn't terrible or anything like that, but it, it just it's, those two teams were going to put on a good show, and they really did. So describe the impact of C.J. Gable now. We've seen him for a couple of games at running back. Well, he's given the, uh, the a consistent, you know, uh, opportunity to get 100 yards per game, and and of course people uh, they probably heard this a number of times, uh, but uh, he's had three games in a row over 100 yards because the last game with Hamilton he had 150 yards rushing. So, so he's he's done a fantastic job as as somebody that can can grind out yards and and the type of back too that a lot of backs are in the in the CFL and that they get some of, a lot of times they get most of their yards at the end of a game when you're trying to run the clock down and kill the game and he he gives you that and uh, but he's also gives you the opportunity to uh, and uh, you listen to Riley talk about how well he blocks and, and the types of things that he does when he blocks and he says you know he's been Riley's been around this this league for a number of years and he says that CJ Gable after the first week did things he'd never seen before and uh, and that is is gives confidence to the quarterback, gives confidence to the offensive line, knows that if they do have a blowout, there's always going to be somebody there that can, can you know, to clean up the mess. And uh, and then on top of that, the guy can catch the ball and run the ball really well. He has been, well, he has certainly been what they've, what they've needed for that offense. Blake Dermott, our Eskimos analyst, joining us inside sports on 630. Chad, it's 639. Brandon Zilstra, I, I, don't, I don't know, I mean, the, the first after the first third of the season, I was saying Mike Riley's the MLP in the league. After the second third, I was saying it's Andrew Harris. Now we're 
uh, I guess, halfway through the third third. And I'm wondering if Brandon Zilstra might be the most outstanding player in the league. And what I find fascinating there, Blake, and this is what the great players do, I mean, you know every defense is saying, we're going to double Zilstra, we're going to key on Zilstra, and he still is getting quite wide open. I mean, he makes tough catches too, but he also gets quite wide open on a lot of his patterns. Yeah, and I, you know, part of that, I think, is uh, is a good job by the Eskimo coaching staff, and, and, and I was listening to uh, Jason Moss talk about how they, you know, it, it isn't like they put uh, guys in, in well, they will, sorry, that's not true. They'll put guys into certain situations, but every, a lot of things have to go right for that to, you know, to, to look wide open like that. And, uh, you know, a lot of times they're hedging their bets. They're saying, well, this is what they have a tendency to want to do, so we want to put this guy in this position. And, and in the last few games, Zilster has been the benefit, uh, beneficiary of s- some really good play calling and some great recognition by Riley. And, uh, I mean, it could it just as easily have been Bowman last year or, or Darrell Walker uh, last year as well. Those guys were in those situations. And they've, they've become comfortable with Zilstra being, being that guy. And, uh, and all he does is just produce. Uh, and, you know, and now he's leading the league in receptions, I believe, and, by, or, and, t- and y- total yardage, because I think he only needed 20 or 30 yards going into that game uh, because Ellingson had, uh, had him by about 20 or 30 yards. And then, and, but Ellingson's played three more games uh, going into that game. So, so Zilstra's going to run away with this thing <laughs> if he keeps piling up the yardage. Yeah, he's an incredible story for sure. And, and like I said, he, he's dangerous in every part of the field, right? I mean, he gets deep passes, but he catches slants. He catches the curls with the guy hanging on his back. So he, he's a very versatile player, and clearly he's, he's been hard to, hard to defend. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what to think, Blake, because you know they got to Ray a couple of times. Um, now they weren't taking on Wilder in the running game, but but Whitaker still reeled off a couple plays. Now S.J. Green is a good player, like Zilstra. Sometimes he's 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 going to just make a nice catch, and, and he's going to be hard to bring down. But I, I thought with Jones and Konar back, that that's nice to get a couple of linebackers, but you know, higher caliber linebackers back in the fold. Well, that certainly is a, a thing that. Uh... We talked to Jason Moss the day before the game about uh, the Eskimos' inability to, or the struggles with stopping the run this year. And, uh, you know, they're up, I think they're eighth in the league uh, in, against the run, giving up something like close to 100 yards a game. And, and, uh, and having those two guys back there really makes a difference. Uh, it, it makes a difference in, in what, what they can do. I think uh, Toronto had something like, I think, go with well into the fourth quarter. They only had 20 or 30 yards rushing the whole game. So, so they may have got some yardage late, but I'm sure they kept them well below 100 yards, and uh, and that's what what they were doing at the beginning of the year. That that group when they were healthy before a bunch of guys got hurt, and now you're into the third and fourth string will linebacker. They they were pretty tough against the run. Uh, the other thing to keep in mind too is that uh, John Schick had his best game as an Eskimo. Uh, had the one sack. Uh, I think he had three tackles and, of course, the big knockdown or the big tip on that last play that uh, Corey Jones got the interception on. But the Eskimos were able to get to Ricky Ray a little bit, but it's tough to get to him because he's pretty smart and he, and he knows how to, you know, to avoid and get the ball downfield. But they also did that without their, you know, their leading uh, pressure guy and, um, and sack guy in, in Willis. So, and, and that was just a, just a one-game rotation, so he'll be back this week. So we're starting to see a little bit more 
a little bit more cohesion, a little bit more life on that defensive line, plus the linebacking core getting a little bit more comfortable with playing with each other. Of course, you add in uh, you add in the two defensive backs that came back, Brandon Thompson and and uh, uh, well, uh, the, uh, I can't right off the tip of my tongue, I can't remember who it was, uh, but those two guys make made a big difference in that secondary. So so yeah, this is starting to look like a team that the, the team that they had coming out of the uh, out of training camp. Yeah, well, we'll see how they do against the Lions, and then tough ones against Calgary and Saskatchewan. They, they will be in. They could, looking at everything, they could still play basically Winnipeg uh, or Ottawa or Toronto in their yeah. first playoff game. We don't know, and they actually have a, a outside chance at finishing second, but they would have to win out, and Winnipeg would have to lose out. So you're probably third or four in the in the West, and then you're going to either Winnipeg or uh, Ottawa or Toronto. Uh, Blake, before I let you, you mentioned that John Chick tip. I'm going to throw you one here as a, as a former offensive lineman. I mean, when you're blocking, you're trying to clear a hole for your running back, or you're trying to keep your quarterback safe, and then sometimes a D lineman will make a play with a batted down ball or a tip ball. And sometimes you see an entire game where there's not a deflective ball. But, I mean, an offensive lineman, is he can't be worried about, oh, is this guy going to jump up and, and, and tip the ball? I mean, the old lineman can't really prevent that, can he? Or is that something else you're worried about? Well, there were, there were, I, I played against a guy um, years ago that uh, ended up playing for Edmonton. Uh, I think he's number three or four in the league in sacks. God, I can't remember his name. <laughs> Um, but he did play for Edmonton for a while, and it was a really good uh, defensive end. He was a jumper. Some guys are jumpers. And as an offensive lineman, you can, um, if you know you're playing against a jumper, what ends up happening is that as soon as they leave their feet, they're very vulnerable to get pushed. If you've ever jumped up in the air and had someone just touch you in the chest, you'll go right over on your back. So the secret is, is to try to make sure that you maintain leverage and maintain pressure on the defensive lineman. So if a guy does jump, you get him down in an awful hurry. I actually I, I, I flipped one guy completely uh, like, like a pinwheel one time because as he jumped up, I hooked his leg with my arm and just threw my arm up, oh, and he geez. flipped right over onto his head. Um, so they're, they're very, defensive linemen are very vulnerable, and they're taught at a young age not to do that, not to jump because that could happen to them. But, you know, Chick took a chance, and sometimes you just have to sell out, and, which is what he did. And, and because he sold out, they were able to tip the ball and, and, uh, and, and end the game. Well, some big plays for the Eskimos in that final minute. That final, I mean, two third down conversions, then they get the touchdown, and then, and then obviously Chick and Jones team up for the interception. So nice to see the Eskimos get a close one go their way because they weren't getting those during the six-game losing streak. Blake, uh, thanks for checking in tonight. I know, you, are you still coaching, or what's going on with your high school team? Yeah, we, we did not have a, a real strong game this weekend, but we, we have our, our last regular season game again, uh, this uh, Friday against Austin O'Brien and uh, Coach at Salisbury. So, uh this is a big. We have. If we win, we're in. If we lose, we have to get help. So okay. We... <laughs> Pretty simple then. All right. Yeah. I know you'll be busy getting ready. Blake, thanks for checking in tonight. Always love having you on the show. We'll do this next week. All right, Reed. Thanks a lot. As Blake Durbert, former Edmonton Eskimo, now our in-game analyst for our broadcast here on six thirty. Chet, some interesting insight there about uh, defending a jumper as an offensive lineman, and man, Zilstra. That, that Zilstra is uh, third and ten. Third and ten, you you would. Th- I'm sure Toronto was thinking. I bet you they're going to throw it to Zilstra, and he still is able to work open across the middle, gets it down inside the 25. A couple of plays later, the Eskimos score, and uh, yes, the benefit of a pass interference call. And I-, I am now of the mind with pass interference in the CFL, and I know it's kind of become popular 
to just blame the CFL officials for everything, for bad calls, for global warming, for asteroids that almost hit the planet. Everything's their fault. But I also think the the pass interference rule itself in the CFL needs to be changed because I, I think it is far too strict. And I understand you want to benefit the offense, but, I mean, we saw, we saw in that Hamilton-Calgary game, the, the Tiger Cats got a... Uh, got a late call in the end zone that, that helped them out that was really... I mean, you had to look at it frame by frame to, to see the contact getting there before the ball. Now, the one on Walker in the fourth quarter, the the, 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 the defensive back did hold up Walker pretty good. I mean, it wasn't like a blatant push or hold, but he definitely got in his way. So I could I could see that uh, I could see that being called. But I, I would like to, to see them look, look at that. And again, there's a difference between a faulty rule and faulty enforcement. And I think a lot of times with... PI in the CFL, it, it, it's a faulty rule. So we'll see if they do anything about that. It is 6.48. Yankees just hit a home run to go up 3-0 on the Astros in the bottom of the second, but the Astros do lead that best of 7-2-0. It's Inside Sports on 6.30, Chad. Hi, this is Ryan Eugene Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 6.30, Chad. Now 2-1, Tampa Bay leading Detroit. Four minutes into the second period. Only game in the NHL tonight. Tomorrow, Furnace Family Oilers Hockey on 630 Chet. Edmonton's Furnace replacement experts call 780-4-FAMILY or visit FurnaceFamily.com. We'll sign on with the face-off show at 530. The game is at 7 with the Oilers hosting the Carolina Hurricanes. In the next half hour of the show, we'll talk to Doug McLean, a former coach and general manager in the NHL, about how the Oilers' current coach and general manager are handling the one and three start. Jason Moss in with Morley Scott from 7.30 to 8. He's the head coach of the Eskimos. Starting at 8 o'clock tonight, we have Decision Edmonton. 6.30 Chet and Global News, the election special. Civic election, of course, today. Polls will close at 8. Now, I was thinking, Patrick Bauer, we need, we need, a, we need a better name than Decision Edmonton. That's what media outlets always name their election coverage. They take Decision Edmonton, Decision Alberta, Decision Canada. It's provocative. You disagree? It's it's overused. I won't I won't argue with that. So what do you got? Edmonton, game of votes. <laughs> and then we can play and then we can have a, a knockoff of the Game of Thrones theme song. You know I like that. How about this? Edmonton, Lord of the Pyramid. Or cuz you know the city hall's a pyramid. Yeah, not bad. Yeah, not it bad. takes. You know, if if you don't get it right away, it might might take some explaining. <laughs> yeah. Those those are the only two I came up. With. You can text six thirty six thirty. Alternate names for our election coverage. It's a good off-topic topic. Oh, that's an on-topic there, topic. There's our. Yeah, well, it is yeah, actually. It's it is. an on-topic, off-topic. Because <laughs> it's not really a sports topic, but there's not there's no bigger story today in the city. <laughs> this is here we go. Game of votes. Yeah. Game of votes. By the way, I finished Game of Thrones last night. Oh yeah? Yeah, I watched I watched all seven seasons in the last two and a half months. Alright, spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen it yet. His own cousin! Can you believe it? 
don't say that. <laughs> and yes, in that show, you can believe it. I suppose so. In that show, you can believe it. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. It is Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio, 6.30, Chad. So our next, we got an Oilers game tomorrow, Thursday, and then Saturday morning because it's an 11 a.m. face-off in Philadelphia, and then the Eskimos game Saturday night. That is what's going on. Todd McClellan was asked about bumping Ryan Strom up to Nugent Hopkins' right wing for tomorrow's game. Kind of the same thing we need to see from uh, from the group as a whole. I don't think it's fair just to, to single him out, but we need to get some production from our wingers. We need to get a little hungrier in and around the blue paint. Uh, a lot of goals are being scored in that area. And, um, you know, in reviewing the video, we're in those spaces, we're in those areas. We're just not getting our uh, our body's position right or getting our stick on it at the right time. So we've got to get cleaner in and around then. And with the group as a whole, we've got to tighten up our checking responsibilities and uh, get it done on that side too. All right, so Leon Dreisaitl has been placed on injured reserve. That happened this afternoon. Drake Kajula put on injured reserve over the weekend. Brad Malone called up from the farm and... I asked McClellan what he expects from him. For me, he's, he's a fairly responsible defensive guy. And, uh, you know, he, he was one of our um, bottom six players that produced offensively uh, throughout training camp. He had two or three goals and a few helpers uh, playing in that role. He has the ability to penalty kill. And um, so all areas that we're, we're looking to improve in. All right. I, I would it, judging from practice today, wouldn't surprise me if Malone is in with Packerinen coming out. But we'll see how it looks at the morning skate tomorrow. Coming up to the seven o'clock news, then Doug McLean from Sportsnet Inside Sports on Chet.